0: the people in life are countless. So we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Side sidequests and sidequests. and sidequests. Side side Episode 57. Arlie the Hobgoblin Lycanthrope Storyteller. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwoge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Darby Pack's table in the levitating platter. (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests, the best unofficial D&D podcast in my humbly biased opinion. I'm joined <laughs> today by the other half of the dynamic duo that makes up the fast-growing podcast on the Twitterverse, but why don't I go ahead and turn the mic over and ask my guests, who are you and what is it that you do?
1: Ah, hello, I'm Darby, I'm the other half of Chaotic Creations, my friend Harper and I, uh, who's on another one of the episodes here, created not that long ago, maybe two months ago, it's when we started having the idea, and now it's just sort of exploded in a way we just didn't expect. So uh, thanks for having me on here.
0: Yeah, not a problem. You know, us uh, D&D character creating podcasters have to stick together. Yeah.
1: It's been a wild experience just sort of seeing everyone on Twitter just sort of larger than I thought community like out there of like podcasters. I mean, that they've all been, everyone's been so supportive and so kind and like offering us advice and, you know, welcoming us into all these discords. I've been now like eight new discord servers, which is driving my notifications a little bit nuts, but <laughs> it's fun to meet all kinds of new people.
0: Well, I think this next question is a softball pitch, but do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons before?
1: I certainly play Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) I started playing maybe two-ish years ago. That's when I finally got a solid group because before that it was like a series of, oh my God, do you want to play Pathfinder or do you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. And then the group would die instantly. (laughs) We'd have session zero over and over again. And I would build up this character. I'm like, oh, this is a character. I'm like really excited to play this character. When are we meeting? (laughs) And they're like, never, because these people lost interest. And we can't just do an adventure with just you. So yeah, I've been trying to teach my mom how to play, actually. So it's just one-on-one with me and her. Yeah, her first language isn't English. Her English is quite good, but it's still like that learning barrier so she bought like a Korean version of the player's handbook that she had her sister buy in Korean that shipped to us and I think that's just kind of crazy cool. I'm like trying to teach her. and She's like, oh, there's so much math. I'm like, Use the calculator on your phone. I'm doing that, but I'm also, Harper and I play in a group together where one of our friends from college is also the DM and we have five players in our DM and I get to play this halfling druid named Verity, who's a circle of dreams and she's definitely like the oddest out of the bunch <laughs> out of everyone. And we have like, you know, a tiefling rogue, a dragonborn barbarian, uh, you know, and a halfling looks pretty unassuming but then she's like i've never heard of money before (laughs) how does that work and she's like chewing on coins and stuff i get to play now um but yeah i sort of dabble in a lot of different things
0: well uh i know we could probably sit here for hours and hours with this question but do you have a favorite npc from an rpg video game film television movie history literature etc and why are they your favorite
1: Favorite side character I really loved, um, I'm a big video game fan. I like playing a lot of video games and just thinking of most recently one of my favorite, I guess, side characters from Fire Emblem was Petra who's one of the students who's in one of the houses in the Fire Emblem's Three Houses, uh, which is the newest game that came out for the Switch and she's just, I love her. Like, not only is she, like, this awesome character who, like, every weapon you give to her, she's just exceptionally well balanced to just destroy enemies. She's also just, like, has the best personality she's like chipper she tries very hard and goes at it with a very do good positive attitude she's right now one of my favorite side characters a video game or sort of media right now
0: and now for the flip side of the namesake of the show do you have a favorite side quest from rpg video game film television literature etc and why is it your favorite side quest
1: see that's a hard one because i'm definitely a it's like I'm allergic to the main quest. (laughs) I'm thinking of me playing Skyrim or um, these like open world games where they have, you know, hundreds of side quests. I'm just like, hey, I see the plot is here. I'm gonna go the opposite direction. (laughs) It's just in Skyrim. I've never done any of the like dragonborn quests. I like start these quests to get like these benefits at the beginning. And then I just turn around and leave. (laughs) I guess to touch on Fire Emblem again, Fire Emblem's taking up a lot of my brain space currently in terms of video games. But Fire Emblem has all these like paralogues for their characters. They're usually two or three of the characters, and they have like these storylines that together and their side quests that you don't need to do, but they will if you do them, you get backstory development, um, sometimes new weapons and sometimes battalions which you can equip to your friends, your allies. I love those paralogues because they really help develop these characters and kind of establish these bonds that aren't just you and this character, it's these characters with each other and then how they interact in the world. What their life is like a little bit. There's two characters who come from commoner backgrounds and they're both from mercantile families and their paralogue together kind of talks about how, you know, this one family was like, oh, I'm gonna turn down this, like, my family turned down to participate in this deal, like, years and years ago. And the other kid is like, my family was the one that accepted that deal and they were killed because it was a setup for an ambush and like it was tying together like their lives because they're not only housemates they also have this like you know they're both commoners in the same house who have this kind of a little complicated history together and then different perspectives on life after it and i just think that's a really wonderful aspect of fire emblem it's like being able to develop these characters outside of yourself
0: hello everyone i just want to take a moment to tell you about my first ever sponsor plus one exp Tony Vicinda is the mastermind behind this trifecta of triumph. He produces tabletop themed beard balms, beard themed tabletop RPGs, and helps to support additional tabletop content creators on Patreon. Now, each of his beard balms is flavored after the basic stats from D&D. Do you need some strength for your beard? Why, apply and feel yourself empowered with the scent of pine and cedar with a minty edge. If you're feeling rather charismatic, apply a balm of sweet-smelling amber, clove, and pipe tobacco. Each one of these balms is unique in its makeup. And of course, don't forget, Tony developed a whole RPG that allows you to harness your facial ferocity and hair-raising adventures. You can snag a copy of that game as well as a style stencil, enamel pin, or a map of the Whiskerverse. And finally, aside from all of the awesome interviews and actual plays Tony has on Plus One EXP, Every purchase you make feeds into the Plus One Forward program, which supports small indie content creators to continue making amazing tabletop RPG content. So head on over to plusonexp.com, that's plus one spelled out and exp.com, in order to shop for these balms and games and more. And when you go to check out, use my affiliate code Randolph to save some coin on your purchase and to help support sidekicks and side quests. How else do you think our tavern keeper at the Levitating Platter is going to keep his silver beard so awesome? Once again, the code is Randolph, like how it's spelled on episode two and his write up, in order to save on your order and help support the show. So thank you so much. And now back to the podcast. All right, and then here, the last question of the personal interview section. What are you passionate about and why?
1: (laughs) Always a hard question for me. As Harper has repeatedly told me, I have many passions. I just don't think that they're passions for my own convoluted reasons. I guess history. I'm a big history buff. I think it's probably the easiest one. I studied history in college and sort of latched onto like Pacific War, World War II history. Somewhat personal, because I'm uh, my ethnical background is Korean, and so Korean Peninsula was involved a lot in, like, the Pacific in terms of World War II, you know, colonization and annexation by Japan, and there's all this history that's sort of tumultuous and tense that's still rather hotly debated in that region today that a lot of people in the U.S. and, like, Western countries don't really understand, because in a lot of ways, for... Us in America it's like World War II ended. I would say like to the degree that Korea and Japan and China have like this like tension between each other, it's the same degree doesn't exist within the US versus like Germany.
0: If my history serves me correct, aren't we still technically in the Korean War, but it's just at a ceasefire right now and has been?
1: Yeah, it is. And that's what kind of makes that kind of area of history really interesting to me is that it's just still like it's history, but history's never really dead and never really in the past per se, because you can still see the lasting impact of events echoing and rippling through today, uh, whether we recognize where these effects come from or not. Besides being a huge nerd, because I love d and I also love uh, Magic the Gathering, which is another, which is the coast product. <laughs> Mythic Guide to Theros comes from, and Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, those are Magic the Gathering planes that they've created for D&D settings. It's a bit of a creative. The audience isn't going to be able to see this, but like I do a lot of like origami and like embroidery on occasion. So like I did this embroidery. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like it started off as like a I'm just really stressed. I'm just going to use a needle to stab something a bunch of times until I feel better. Uh, and then it just sort of evolved into this larger thing. I currently work at a Mazar National Historic Site and this embroidery is of the monument that is in the graveyard. It's called the Soul Consoling Tower, To. It was placed there to console the souls of people who passed away while incarcerated during World War II. People who were, they were forced to leave their homes, businesses, everything that they had built sometimes over decades and decades or generations even. So many people lost everything and some people never left these camps and there are still some people whose bodies were never claimed or no one wanted to take them out of this place and there's still some bodies there today Um, so it's a really impactful part of the site because there's nothing, there's really not much else on the site. We have the visitor center, we have Block 14 reconstructed. We have some of these gardens reconstructed, but you know, looking out there when you're on the site, it's just a lot of open space with like some shrubs, some trees, and plants, really. But it's pretty desolate out there sometimes. The weather conditions can be extremely harsh, and that's what people had to live with. And this monument stayed there this entire time. It's been there since before the war ended and um it's still there today and it's a really powerful reminder of kind of what happened there sorry to get super depressing but
0: well no no this is this is what this show is all about not only is it about making fun and goofy npcs to make your game world seem more real but there's also a human element to the show too where it's two human beings trying to relate to each other and help show the world that there's more to us than what the culture says there is
1: yeah, and I think it ties in with my love of history as well, I guess, or a passion for history, because this is, you know, one of the things that really drew me into really wanting to major in history in college was my professor at the time, I was taking a class on modern Japan, and he was like, okay, because we're in Los Angeles, he's like, we're for the final part of this class, we're going to learn about World War II and Japanese American incarceration, and we're going to go to Manzanar. And that was the first time I went to Manzanar was in college, and just kind of being there, learning about this, and then also knowing that- one of my family's close family friends was incarcerated there when he was a kid. It was just really brought the realization. History is like so present in ways that that I had never really thought of before just because I'd always thought of history as a topic of like, you memorize these dates, you memorize these people. It's like facts and it's like science, but just like about people. And then it was, I think in that moment was like when I realized like I can draw these connections to people and things and that this is still like alive because going to Little Tokyo In Los Angeles, like they have that history literally on the street, written into the sidewalk to be like, at this time, this is when these parts were established or this story's been here through incarceration. And it's just sort of... It's a history that unfortunately kind of becomes almost more and more relevant or has more and more parallels every day just thinking about what a lot of people, especially at the time failed to recognize is that these Japanese Americans were American citizens or people who were not allowed to become American citizens because of basically just like racism (laughs) and racist policy there was a family whose son while they were incarcerated, their sons were drafted into the army and the 442, which is if I'm remembering correctly, still the most highly decorated combat unit in the army ever the amount of you know the acts of bravery that they did while their families were still incarcerated and had no rights is astounding and this family lost their oldest son after incarceration they were bringing the body back and i think he had won Medal of Valor, something for his actions. And this general had come out, you know, there's media all around, they're taking pictures of this family, there's the father, the mother, and then the oldest sister, and then all the other siblings lined up in a row. And the general passes by the father, passes by the mother, and pins the badge on the oldest sister, because you're not allowed to pin one of these badges to someone who's not an American citizen. And so, you know, this mother and father who had just lost their son weren't allowed to receive this honor, this last bit of their son who died overseas fighting for a country that didn't care for him or his family. But this history is like really heavy and has a lot of parallels to today that people just want to live their lives and do good things but that because of fear and hatred that they had to suffer even while their family was doing maybe the bravest thing that they could at the time.
0: All right well my guest is Stellar, as you can tell from her testimony, and I think it's only fitting now that we head into some NPC creation.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see what you have in store.
0: Okay, so like a fellow character creator podcaster, you have opted to go with the randomized table generation method of generating an NPC, correct? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right. The first question, what is our character's name? If you would pick up a D20 and please roll it and let me know what your result is.
1: All right. I got a six. Six.
0: This submission was thanks to our previous guest, Quinn Schulte, and the name that you got was Arlie, A-R-L-I-E. The next thing we need to determine is the ancestry for this character. So this, we will require a D100. So if you'd like to pick up two D10s and tell me what you get. All right. Oh, that's a 77. 77. So you have a choice here. So we have a lycanthrope, choose the animal, or a jackalware. So do you want Arlie to be a jackalware or do you want a lycanthrope, but you choose what the lycanthrope animal is?
1: Oh, that is very neat. Lycanthrope or jackalware? I think I'll go with lycanthrope, but I'm trying to think of anything that's not a wolf.
0: <laughs> Bears, tigers, boars, bats, rat, any common animal you can think of. There's a lycanthrope version of it.
1: You know, a boar would be very interesting. When I think of lycanthropes, I think of like straight carnivores. I know boars can be very dangerous.
0: Living here in Texas, let me tell you, boars could be dangerous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're not very boring, I guess.
0: Uh, ha, ha. All right. So you wanted to go with bore then as the yeah. lycanthrope variant. Okay, yeah. cool. Arlie the bore. Now we need to figure out what is Arlie's job or role in society. Why don't you go ahead and roll a regular D10? All
1: right. I've got a seven again.
0: (laughs) Seven. Okay. This answer was submitted by our previous guest, Kia Young. And the job is storyteller. So Arlie is a storyteller by trade. Well, we have one more dice roll uh, before we get to just kind of free form. Uh, mm. So the next thing we need to determine is the age range category. So why don't you roll a D8? I've got a three. Three. Young adult. So Arlie is a young adult wearbore that's a storyteller. Taking a break from rolling dice and letting your creativity flow, describe Arlie's physical appearance.
1: I'm thinking kind of a maybe a stocky individual.
0: I'm trying to think of the physical description of a
1: boar in my brain, and I'm just gonna use the magic of the internet. Yeah, maybe like a stocky individual, sort of coarse brown hair, maybe some scarring around their body, not like at any particular one place, but just sort of marks kind of along that are like healed pretty well.
0: Well, this is a young adult too, so definitely older than a teenager, but not someone who's like clearly a well established adult. So, yeah. Anyone between their like 20s and 30s, I'm guessing, in human years. Yeah. I guess technically lycanthropes could be any species. Yeah. So, do you think this is a human lycanthrope, or is this like some other variant of a lycanthrope?
1: You know, that's a good question, because now that sends my cogs thinking further, because I was automatically assuming human, but you are right, Lycanthropes can be any race, and they usually live about as long, and a little bit longer than their base race. Why not a hobgoblin? Why not? I think that'd be interesting.
0: Okay, so a hobgoblin Lycanthrope.
1: Mm-hmm. Because we just talked about so much history, I'm just, like, drawing on history again. Storytelling, and, like, I think of storytellers, sometimes it's, like, a lot of oral traditions. Homer right. no was, I guess, oral storyteller. So I'm like thinking of like, who would do like oral storytelling, right? It's usually just kind of thinking about how they've been portrayed in media and sort of historically, it's usually when you have like a group of people who have a shared history and you pass on your history instead of through writing or through visual manner, you pass it down verbally, like oral history. That's sort of where my mind is going right now. Is like maybe this hobgoblin is part of a, a conclave, maybe of like-
0: Other lycanthropes?
1: Yeah, and like they sort of travel together, and maybe that's where these like scars come from. It's like being boars sort of roughhousing, maybe, and like kind of doing what they do, picking up these scars along the way, but traveling together and sharing like a history together, and maybe Arlie's role is the
0: storyteller. Storyteller of the group. Yeah. Were you saying that it was an entire group of wear or is it a group of lycanthropes? A group of outcasts and misfits?
1: It would be interesting to have it just be lycanthropes in general and just have this, like, mishmash of, Oh, I was bitten by a werebore over here, you know, like, that group over there, they got bitten by, you know, werewolves, so... But we all travel together and, like, work together and, like, have this, like, you know, people come and go as they need, but, like, this group has always existed in some capacity. Like another example that popped into my mind is Netflix did an animated show, Castlevania. And in it, they're the speakers and they're this sort of like magical traveling people who specialize in oral history and they're nomads. So they go around collecting the histories of different places and sort of tying it into their oral tradition and their history. And they're kind of funky because like, they're also like, sometimes things are time-wise don't really match up because they have some things that are like from the future or embellish the truth a little bit and like that's the fallback of oral history is that it's fallible it's based off of the reliability of the persons before you to the truth of the story in Castlevania, the group of speakers—they're like a family. They like established, and they don't really split off. But I'm thinking it's more like Vo in Critical Role, where it's this sort of mishmash of people who have like—I think they'll have this thing in common, which is lycanthropy. But they've like happened to find each other and sort of create this group together of a nomadic nature.
0: But right, because of their conditions, so yeah. they're just like, well, we better be on the move. And then mm-hmm. Arley's role, well, Arley listens to all the stories, and then Arlie is able. To- to, you know, retell the stories as far as entertaining and keeping morale up and stuff like that, even yeah. though he's a young adult.
1: It also just sort of reminded me of like the giver a little bit, less of the dystopia. They have the giver who has the the memories and advises on situations. I think at the very beginning of the book where there's that plane that is, like, malfunctioning, they're like, do we shoot it down or do we let it run itself into the ground? And, like, they consult the giver for the advice, for the wisdom. And I think that was, like, us a little bit maybe of what the storyteller role is. It's entertainment, it's, you know, remembrance, but it's also wisdom
0: and advice. Well, this is all very important to help figure out who this character is. And so... (laughs) the hobgoblin physical features physical traits that already exist are they more exaggerated because of the lycanthropy of the werebore? or does Arlie still just appear as a normal scarred hobgoblin
1: I think maybe kind of looking at hobgoblins right now I think maybe maybe the nose has changed a little bit to be more kind of like bore-ish. maybe some small tusks Sort of jutting out a little a la orc or half orc with the sort of large tusk and maybe more boar-shaped ears. But I'm thinking not like hugely like different.
0: Right. So not a shifter or anything like that. Yeah. But because of the lycanthropy, a few things have changed, but otherwise still yeah. mostly appears to be a regular hobgoblin.
1: Yeah, sort of small shifts over time that maybe Arlie didn't notice at first. But like now is just if Arlie were to meet someone from their past life, that would be a little more pronounced.
0: Do you already know what Arlie's past is or is it kind of like an amnosia and just doesn't really remember his past or he's forgetting his past on purpose because now he's with this band of lycanthropes? It's
1: a good question. (laughs) I don't really know. I'm trying to think about why would a young adult want to take on what is, it's a pretty heavy, hefty role. Like it's a lot, you know, to carry like the
0: history of a group Well, especially if they're lycanthropes, they're always being, maybe they're being hunted. And so just by process of elimination, this hefty role has been placed on his shoulders because he's maybe not one to go out and go hunting or anything like that. Or he's very cautious about as far as interacting with other groups of people.
1: Yeah. Maybe whatever happened in Arlie's past is not something he wants to revisit at all. Someone who's a young adult who would devote themselves to this role because this would require like a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of a lot of emotional energy too to carry like a history of people who are maybe no longer with you is someone who found their place in this group. Whatever it was behind them is not something he wants to revisit. Giving him Amnesia would leave a lot up to DMs or whoever picks up Arlie. Let people's imaginations run wild. He's happy with the place he found in this group. I think whatever happens, they probably found him and he found a place here with them.
0: What three adjectives do you think best describe Arlie? I think thoughtful,
1: like someone who's carrying all these stories in their mind would probably be thinking a lot kind if they're thinking, oh, we're going to go to this area. Arlie, do you remember anything from the histories of like this area being dangerous particularly or any dangers because we haven't been there in a long time? But also someone who might entertain others is probably someone who's a little kind and considerate. That's sort of what I'm building here. And maybe a little gruff. (laughs) And maybe that's sort of-
0: The boorishness.
1: Yeah, just sort of like- Blunt and sort of, like, to the point. Maybe the only times he sort of gets more of an embellishment on what he's saying is when he's actually carrying this orating, this history or these stories out. That's the only time he sort of gets the embellishment. But if they're like, hey, like, advice, he's like, we're good.
0: So he's a man of few words, but then once you get him going in a story, then he's all of a sudden, all the artistic nature and license and poetry and superfluous vocabulary comes out. Mm-hmm. Now we need to figure out what is a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that the character ascribes to. This will require first a D4 roll. Okay. Uh, two. Two. Lore. So very fitting for a storyteller. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's go ahead and roll a d6. All right. A six. Six. Okay, this was submitted by our previous guest, Arielle McMahon. Arlie knows the recipe for elderflower mead. What is the particular quest that Arlie would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go and do? Let's roll a d12 and see if you like the result here or being so talented in creativity, you (laughs) might have already thought of your own side quest that you think Arlie should offer up.
1: I have a thought, but maybe if this one is not particularly fitting, you will at least spark an idea. Uh, A seven. I'm rolling a lot of sevens today.
0: So, this was submitted by our previous guest, Kenneth Vigue. Find a rare cookbook.
1: Huh. I had the thought that maybe whoever taught him Elderflower Mead also wrote a cookbook before joining and, like, wasn't able to bring any copies of it because it was, like, perhaps maybe not the best-selling cookbook of maybe oddball recipes that included Elderflower Mead, but they're always like, oh, you know, if I were able to get my recipe book, I could share all these recipes with you, and then maybe they passed away, and now early caught wind that this book might be somewhere near wherever they may meet these adventurers It's like I obviously I think my role is too important here to literally physically leave and go adventure for how. I don't know how long to find this book, but if you find this book, bring it to me. Good stuff.
0: (laughs) I like your idea of how it's like a bunch of oddball recipes. So if the characters kind of sift through it, they're like, what is this garbage? Who would eat this or something like that? But then Arlie's like, no, that's not the point. The point is, is that it's all from this one guy that I used to know. And, you know, he was really great and he was a great cook in the camp. And it's a piece to bring him back and to be able to share that again with everyone in the group
1: hmm. It's like I wasn't able to record all of his recipes, because not only was it a long time since he wrote this book, but also he passed away. So that sort of has always been eating at Arlie a little bit like I want to find this book, I want to find this book, I want to find this book, but just has never been able to catch wind of it anywhere and leave the group for long enough to go find it. And so this is like an opportunity for Arlie to be like, I need to find this book.
0: What is the reward that Arlie's going to offer should the player character successfully retrieve this cookbook of rare renown?
1: My thought instantly went to Skyrim. There's a side quest you can do where the reward is you can become a lycanthrope.
0: Oh, dang. Okay.
1: I mean, besides becoming a lycanthrope, I think there should be other gains, I think that'd be a really interesting reward, I suppose, for a player. With great power that comes along with Lycanthropy, like, there's also great fallbacks. And I think it'd be an interesting conundrum to provide to players. But also maybe I would imagine a nomadic group of people that come in and come out from time to time will have like a lot of bits and baubles and, on, and like weapons and armor and money from different areas. And they'll just be like, you can have some of it. <laughs>
0: Well, now we have to consider the Mm flip-flop. What's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call? I guess it could go any number of different ways. Like if it's a matter of like, oh, the book just got taken by someone else versus like, oh, the book was destroyed. I think there's like two different reactions between like, oh, the book is permanently destroyed versus like, oh, the book is lost or it got bought by someone else. And now it's on the other side of the world. There's no way we can go get it now or it's in another dimension and we can't go get it now.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because I think, like, if there was some reason that they couldn't get the book, or, like you were saying, the book was bought by someone else, it got put into a different dimension, we lost it, it's like someone else took it, I think that would be disappointment and, like... Uh, I guess there's not much I can do about that. But if they were like, we accidentally destroyed the book, I feel like that might actually be a very sore spot for Arlie because that's like a lost point of history for him, like of this person who's gone. I think if the book was lost in some manner, like someone else took it, they could accept that because like Arlie could be like, there is a way that I could get this back. I just need to figure out somehow. But if the book was destroyed, I feel like that would be like, that could have been the last book in existence of this cookbook. And it's gone for sure. It might be that this group, I wouldn't say like immediately turn on them, but if they were to ever like encounter the party again, they would not be that friendly to them. If the party were to destroy the book per se. I can't imagine a group of adventurers being like, hey, you know that book you sent us to get? uh, We totally destroyed it by accident. Sorry. I can't imagine any party just going and being that upfront about it. But the best part of like tabletop RPGs is that players will always surprise you.
0: Is there a difference in how Arlie responds if they just refuse? They meet and then the players say, oh, we're not interested or we don't care. Is there a different way that he's going to react to that?
1: I think if they said, sorry, we can't because of like XYZ, we have to go do something else or like we're not interested. Sorry, that's fine. If it's I don't care and like this is stupid, he might change from gruff to elaborate. (laughs) He goes into an angry lecture. Yeah, an angry lecture. He's like, you don't understand the importance of oral histories, of the traditions of this group. Like, how can you be so cold-hearted about this piece of our history? You don't understand. You with your books or whatever. (laughs) like, you people with your written textbooks of your histories. Like, it's not alive for you.
0: We don't even have room for books in our wagons. We have to just make it with the bags on our backs.
1: Yeah, we carry what we need and we carry those memories with us in our person as opposed to these heavy books that we can't take with us and are impractical for other purposes. Maybe he'd say something like, your history is like dead, like the trees that you used to write on, but our history is alive because it lives in us or something. I would imagine that'd be something he'd say.
0: That's a good bit of dialogue. What impact has Arlie made on the world? How has he shaped the local area? I suppose that might be tricky to answer considering that the group is nomadic in nature, but is there a particular continent or is there a particular region of a planet or something that they are constantly shifting between? And that's how this nomadic group's reputation has been developed. I'm
1: imagining them, you know, just sort of, I'm thinking again, like Vo, this like mishmash of people. You have some people who are just like, I want this like community. I want this like group. I'm going to help cook and like set up camp and do these kind of things. As opposed to like some people who are like, I'm gonna go hunt, buy <laughs> more aggressive types. And then maybe some people are like, we're running out of like these sort of things. I will go into town and buy these things for our group and then come back. And sort of more, maybe more charismatic types. What kind of place would a nomadic population have like a local area? I'm trying to think what would be a special place. Because the one thing that binds this entire group together is lycanthropy. Not the kind of animal it is, but the fact that they all have lycanthropy one way or another. Maybe there is a place.
0: Do they migrate seasonally? Is there like one place that they can always go to, to be like, this is where we are for winter. Or this is where we are for summer.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think about like the moon. <laughs> Just like thinking about like therapy, moon, nighttime, full moon. I really like in the show Avatar the Last Airbender, this like strong association the moon with the ocean and the movement. And the moon was like the first waterbender for them because it the ebb and flow of the tide. Maybe there's like a time and a place that they go sometimes out of the year where like the ebb and flow of the water is like of the ocean. During very few days, I think of the summer, the ocean, just the way the the ocean moves and like the tides, there is... A, a tiny like, I don't know if inlet's the right word, but like a land bridge opens up between Korea and I think Japan. It's just like this like sort of emerges because of like the time of the year and just all these other factors. But it's never like hard signs of like, oh, it's always going to be on this day just because of the shifting of the weather conditions, moon, that sort of thing. I'm thinking maybe there's like very much like Bo, maybe there is an island that they can only reach during particular times of the year because the moon is in a particular place and that they go to this island and kind of do like this communing thing. Maybe other people who left the group before have like come back for these like special times and they share the stories of what they've been doing or where they've been or... Oh. Uh-huh
0: the lives that they've been
1: living and kind of come back and it'll be like a bonding moment and then they kind of spread out and then go separate ways maybe or maybe you know someone who left the group found another lycanthrope but they just didn't know where the group was in particular so they waited for that time to bring them in and introduce them to the group
0: so do you think this nomadic band has people that go out searching for other lycanthropes to then bring back to this festival this communing this gathering
1: In a way that Vo is not, people can leave freely and come back freely because they're not like, you have to stay, but they welcome new people, right? Like they welcomed Arlie when he was lost, I suppose. They welcomed him into the group. They do so similarly for others. And sometimes when people leave, they just happen to find them or maybe they find them as they travel. Maybe less of like a hard recruit and more of like a, we're here if you want us to be here for you.
0: And so then Arlie has been really instrumental in helping to keep this tradition alive of, okay, we've got to go to the island. It's getting about that time of the year. We really need to head there and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think so. Because like... Oh, the moon is kind of doing this weird thing or like the weather, several storytellers tellers back, they had this story about like the tides shifting in a way that was really bad and a lot of people died. So we should wait here for one more day to let that kind of weather condition pass before we try crossing to the island. So I think, yeah, I think he'd be pretty instrumental in sort of doing that.
0: Would you say that his storyteller role is a quasi sort of religious figure then as far as the group is concerned because of his storyteller nature?
1: I think definitely a leadership position. Maybe not so much religious, but a recognized position in the group, much like Again, Vo, I'm just like, ah, Vo, Vo, (laughs) Vo. Just drawing all these connections, thinking about, you know, they didn't really have like, these are for sure our leaders, but they were like, these are kind of like the people we turn to. They're very reliable. Like they sort of do these things really well and they sort of become the de facto leader, right? Because I think the shifting nature of the group would not really fit well with a structured hierarchy, per se, but, like, these are sort of the people who've emerged in, like, leadership positions. And I think, as a storyteller, would absolutely be, like, one of these people.
0: So it sounds like Arlie definitely has made an impact as far as helping to make sure and remember that, hey, let's remember the weather conditions and, you know, gather in the appropriate time and spot. And so then does Arlie have any current problems that prevent him from being a bigger player on the stage?
1: I think it's just the devotion to the group and like the kind of weight that his role carries. It's like in order to be able to be free to leave, I think he would feel like I have to train someone to carry all this before I can leave. Like the giver. Like the giver. There has to be someone after me or at least if not me leaving for good. At least someone who can run parallel with me, and I think that's what's really stopping him. And I don't think it's like a power thing. I think it's just finding that right person to do it. Right, you need someone who's willing to take on large role, but also the weight that comes with it. This role that we've created for Arlie will have a lot of emotional weight as well. I'm sort of reminded of somewhat recently, like a few years ago, I read this article that was talking about survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Those people obviously are getting rather old and sometimes have health complications that are impeding their ability to go around and travel and tell the story of their life as themselves. And so there are these people, younger Japanese people, who, there's a word for it that I do not remember, but they are essentially taking in everything about this person, the, all the stories that this person has to become like a second mouthpiece for these survivors so that their story doesn't die as if they can tell this story as if they were this person to the generation's after them. As a historian, there is such power to verbal testimony and being able to see the person talk about what happened to them. Even if it's through a video, like a big part of Manzanar and Japanese American incarceration, that history is doing oral histories of people talking about their memories. And there's just, you can read it. It's just, it hits different when you watch it or when you listen because you can hear their voice. Because you can hear like a tone change. Like maybe they're happy about this part. Or, you know, sometimes there are parts of, remembering painful history where you can hear someone's voice waver. Pain is something heavy, like something that verbally can be very hard to describe just like writing it down in a description. There's a sort of tone, how fast they're speaking, all these like things that you know, maybe we don't necessarily think about that drastically change how something can be interpreted or how it comes across. And I think just through reading, it, you can lose something. The human element, I guess. To tap into something Arlie would say, you lose the personable aspect of this person's history very philosophical episode a little heavy i'm sorry
0: just want to take a moment to recognize another sponsor of the show reaper miniatures they have been texas titans of the tabletop industry since 1994 they're right here in my backyard and they have an amazing warehouse and game store they make everything from paints to gaming accessories stream on twitch with tutorials and interviews and host the reaper con This year, back in person from September 2nd to 5th, 2021 in Denton, Texas. Whatever system you're running, whatever game you're playing, Reaper has a miniature that has you covered. Want to include Randolph in your game? Then might I suggest looking at their catalog for SKU number 77661. Perhaps you need a Lord Grubbub. Check out SKU 02646. Are you in the market for your very own Skink Knows the Lich? Look no further than SKU number 77280. You know, every time you shop with them and you spend at least $40 on your purchase, they will give you a cool new mini for free. And this miniature of the month is always something new. And if you're wondering how you can enjoy the benefits from my sponsor, if you visit my website, you can find a link for our sponsorship and use my referral code link when you shop to help support sidekicks and sidequests and get you some savings. By clicking that link on my website it helps to track the traffic that our show directs towards Reaper Miniatures. The more traffic, the more that our Texas powers will be able to combine. So again, Go check the link out on my website in order to use my special referral code, and be sure to follow Reaper Miniatures on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. And be sure to sign up for ReaperCon 2021 and tell them that Sidekicks and SideQuest sent you. So thank you very much to this sponsor, and back to the podcast. I can hear the ogres knocking on the door because they're telling me, it's time for a random encounter.
1: Sounds good.
0: All right. So now we get to bring Arlie to life. You get to now imbue him as uh, I will take on the persona of another character in the scene. Who should Arlie meet?
1: Why not Sonya?
0: When we last left Sonia, she was wrangling uh, what she thought was going to be a simple beast, but turned out to be a displacer beast named Cuddles that belonged to Enna and Aelin, the wedded wizards of the nearby town. After successfully returning said lost pet to the owners, uh, she gathered her newly acquired potions, uh, made her way to the tavern, and got some much needed rest. Upon waking the next day and coming downstairs to dine on a sumptuous breakfast, she happens to notice that there is a new face in the tavern this morning. He seems to be standing by the bar, and for these parts, maybe is a little out of place, uh, but doesn't seem to be hostile or threatening in any manner. It's a hobgoblin standing at the bar. Seems to be talking to the tavern owner, maybe perhaps negotiating for supplies and sonia will do her best to eavesdrop in on the conversation as she can hear the hobgoblin begin to speak to the tavern owner behind the bar i need
1: i need at least six pounds of smoked meats and i'm i have these bottles of elderflower mead that i can trade for some of it but this is all the money i can afford to spend on this meat
0: the tavern keeper's like, oh, elderflower mead. flower maid, eh? I oh, don't know if I've ever had it. Is it any good or is it rubbish? I made it myself. Try
1: it some. See for yourself.
0: The tavern owner grab a bottle, uncork it, smell it. He'll take a sip and he does a surprised emoji with his eyes. And he <laughs> says, All right, that's pretty good stuff, mate. Six pounds of smoked meat for them elderflower maids. You got yourself a deal. Come on, Beatrice, load up the meats. We got this here um hobgoblin that wants some, And he's like bustling off back in the kitchen. Sonia kind of shifts in her seat. And uh, now seeing the hobgoblin just kind of standing there waiting for all these pounds of meat to be delivered. Sonia will kind of turn to him and say, Elderflower meat, eh? I don't think I've uh had a bottle in quite a while. Did you promise all of them to him?
1: I may have. A couple bottles to spare. You've had some before?
0: Hmm, I've only heard tale of them, but I like a good tankard every now and then when I'm, uh, not on the job. I'll sell one to you. Sonia will look at her coin purse, and she'll say, uh, how much?
1: Say, ten silver for a bottle.
0: All right, she'll fish out ten silver, uh, slide it over to the bar, and grab a bottle from you, and kind of uncork it. She'll smell it, she'll... Recork it and put it back in her bag. And then she just kind of starts to begin to strike up a conversation and, and she'll say, like, what you need of, um, six pounds of smoked meat for?
1: Groups traveling. Need some preserved food. Mmm. Food might be scarce where we're going, so it's good to have supplies.
0: Mmm. And, um, well, if you've got any work, sounds like a big group, you might have some, uh, some more goods or coins to spare for me.
1: He'll think <laughs> for a second
0: you travel a lot i yeah aye. i travel these lands far and wide
1: you a big reader
0: you kind of like look at her she kind of like gives you a blank stare back <laughs> she goes don't have much need for books but certainly have my fair share of tales of beekeepers that were liches or manticore spy bosses or well just the other day i had to go fetch a cat turned out to be a displacer beast." Huh. I live the strange, strange life.
1: Seems you do. Displacer beasts, tricky things. Coats are very useful for magical things, if I recall.
0: Hmm. Well, those wizards were quite fond of uh, of that one. So fortunately, I couldn't skin it myself.
1: Ah, yes. Well, tanning it takes quite a uh, quite a process, as I've been told. Um, uh, but I'm in search of a book, actually.
0: Oh. It wouldn't happen to be in that shop next door owned by the wizards. There was all kinds of books in there. Uh
1: unlikely. Uh it's a uh a cookbook
0: of sorts. Really? Is it worth a lot?
1: Not monetarily. Hmm. It's uh of importance to be in my own.
0: Her interest is piqued. She'll say, How much will you give me if I get this book for you?
1: He'll think, sort of maybe tug at his like tusk poking out a little bit tell you what we have many bits baubles weapons things that my compatriots and i have acquired over time as well as money obviously uh but there is a uh, something that i can offer to you perhaps that might interest you that money can't buy in exchange for this
0: book hmm Cryptic would be the word if she could muster that in her brain <laughs> to know what it is. She's not dumb or anything. She's a tough warrior woman, but she's just not very learned. She's not wizardly smart. Mm-hmm. She'll say, all right, well, point me in the direction of this book of yours and we'll talk. We'll negotiate. And if I don't like the offer, well, my sword can uh, be very persuasive. <laughs> sure, if you think so. Oh, I know so, honey.
1: Mm. Well. I could discuss more details. Perhaps if you see my compatriots, it would be better understood what this reward could entail. Hmm. But I'd prefer to not share these details among present company. He'll just sort of gesture.
0: To the slowly awakening tavern as people are filing in for breakfast and all that stuff. (laughs) so she'll say alright alright keep your secrets alright well point me in the direction I'm uh well I'm between jobs now apparently so I've I've just picked up a new one so point the direction and I will make some easy money for myself
1: yes uh hopefully you shall make easy money I guess he'll give the name of the book and maybe a location he lost he like heard maybe there's like this big bookstore somewhere in a in a capital city he's like that would probably be the best place that I could think of to find said book. My group travels a lot, but you can find us at this coastal location during this time of the year if you find the book.
0: All right. I can certainly pick up another job or two along the way, and I quite like the beach. She'll agree to the terms, and as the comical sight of a tavern owner coming back trying to carry this huge amount of smoked meats and plop them on the counter for Arlie to be able to handle, Sonia will kind of um, scoop up the rest of her belongings, sling her bag over her shoulder, kind of do one of these salutes, and then head out the tavern doors. And scene. <laughs>
1: Is that... Good, along the lines of something you were hoping for.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the random encounters are just that. They're entirely random. And so it's just up to us uh, using our improvisational skills to try and make some sort of cohesive scene to introduce the character and put a little uh, drama in it. So as we're here in the final thoughts of the show, overall, what did you think of your experience on the program today?
1: Ah, oh, man, it's I'm already deeply fond of this character. I've known him for one whole hour and I love him. <laughs> You know, two hours ago, I didn't even know he existed. But now he's a, I just, I love developing characters. I love, I love deep dives into backstory. Even if I can't do voices very well or accents, I'm horrible at accents. (laughs) Truly, (laughs) truly the worst. I just love making these like backstories and complex characters and sort of, I guess, sort of defying character stereotypes. Because if you're thinking of, you know, think about lycanthropes, usually they're bloodthirsty, violent, and, you know, do all kinds of evils. I think usually if you're facing a lycanthrope, they're of an evil or chaotic alignment. But I like the idea of this sort of harmonious group that has a, like an oral history. It's just a group of people who weren't accepted by society, so they made their
0: own. (laughs) I know this has certainly been a whirlwind of an episode and surely future me has had quite the time editing and putting it together. And you know, if this one ends up being a long episode, then it was worth it just alone on all of the discussion that we had. So certainly I'm glad that you had a a great time on the show Uh, and I want to now give you the platform. So if you've got any other final thoughts, where can we find you on the internet? What have you got to plug? What should we care about and know about? Go
1: all right uh you can find me on twitter as at darby pack d-a-r-b-y-p-a-k you know i sort of tweet a lot but you can also find uh my podcast and harper's podcast at chaotic pod on twitter and at chaoticpod.com for our website and you can find us on anywhere you can listen to podcasts spotify apple podcasts you know yeah, we post on Wednesdays. Uh, we have fun episodes. We have an episode with you coming up at some point. We have guests. We have characters. You know, our first character was a Minotaur wizard. So if you love the character creation process as much as Harper and I do, please come listen into our podcast. <laughs> Mansonar National Historic Site is near Lone Pine, California, near Death Valley. <laughs> so if you're ever in that area lots of wayside exhibits on the outside for people to see. Even if the visitor center isn't open, you can still walk around the site and see a lot of the history that we have out there.
0: Very cool. Thank you so much. And uh, looking forward to having you back.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast, or... Feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, SideKicksAndSideQuests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our show with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, There's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on! One, two, one, two, three, four! Psychics and psych